Good evening. A basketball star pleads guilty to possessing cannabis in Russia. Bojo resigns. What's next for Britain? Germany goes for Assange and the Medal of Freedom. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, July 7th, 2022. Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced his resignation today after top government officials quit over his latest scandal, marking an end to three tumultuous years in which Bojo, as he was called by friend and foe alike, tried to bluster his way through one ethical lapse after another. Months of defiance ended almost with a shrug as Johnson stood outside Number 10 Downing Street and conceded that his party wanted him gone. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. And I've agreed with Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of our backbench MPs, that the process of choosing that new leader should begin now. And the timetable will be announced next week. And I've today appointed a cabinet to serve, as I will, until a new leader is in place. So I want to say to the millions of people who voted for us in 2019, many of them voting Conservative for the first time, thank you for that incredible mandate the biggest conservative majority since 1987. And in the end, Bojo had another one of his trademark colloquialisms. I know that there will be many people who are relieved and uh, perhaps quite a few who will also be disappointed. And I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. Dems the brakes. The brash 59-year-old politician took Britain out of the European Union and steered through COVID-19 and the war in Ukraine. Nevertheless, he was brought down by one scandal too many, this one involving his appointment of a politician who had been accused of sexual misconduct. Johnson stepped down immediately as Conservative Party leader, but said he would remain as prime minister until the party chooses his successor. The last leadership contest took six weeks. About 50 cabinet secretaries, ministers and lower level officials quit the government over the past few days because of the latest scandal, often castigating the prime minister as lacking integrity. Some said he was the first prime minister in British history to commit a crime in office when he visited an office party at Number 10 Downing during the height of the painful COVID lockdown in the UK. He was eventually fined for the transgression. United Nations correspondent and WBAI commentator is Ian Williams. He says the crime was the smallest part of Bojo's problems. That's almost irrelevant. It's it's the sum total of his behavior. My message is that you should be careful what you wish for, because almost any possible successor from the Conservative Party is, A, going to be viciously ideological and reactionary, whereas Boris is basically just an opportunist who wanted the office and was prepared to say or do anything to get it. And then secondly, that whoever does this is almost certain to win in the face of the most ineffectual opposition in post-war British history. So it's, it's in some ways, it's, yes, we cheer, but it's a terrifying prospect. Be careful that if, lest you get what you wished for. Oh, boy. So what actually, what led to the whole house of cards for Boris Johnson collapsing like this after, you know, he did have some success with Brexit and other things. How did it collapse now? Well, the success of Brexit was, once again, it turned to ashes because everything he said about it was a lie. He didn't want Brexit. Once again, he adopted Brexit because he thought it was an election-winning strategy. I mean, Boris is very much like an American politician in that sense. He didn't get in and say, what can I do, or old-style 
a politician. He didn't get in and say, what can I do to advance my agenda? He says, How do, what agenda do I advance to get in? Brexit was the one that appealed. He thought he was going to, it was going to lose the referendum, but then he got it and he did not have any way to cope with the, uh, with, with the fallout. And ever since then, he's lumbered from one to the other and he's bumptious, he's unputdownable, as they say. Um, since we're being British, it's like Winnie the Pooh. Tigger gets his bounce back every day with um, with Boris. Nothing seems to put him down. And so I don't think he's... Um... <laughs> we say Teflon here. Like Ronald Reagan, they used to call him the Teflon president. Ronald Reagan seemed to manage to preserve a good reputation. Boris managed to be contemptible to most people and still get support. He did this because of the British class structure in start. He's an affable, upper-class British buffoon, and we've got great tolerance for them in Britain. After all, we've let them rule the empire, we've let them run the, run the army and navy, we've let them run parliament for years. He got away with a lot on the strength of that. And, uh, I mean, his, for somebody with one of the most expensive educations in the world, his incoherence under questioning was legendary. What effect did the railroad strike have in Britain? My experience, and I've worked on the railroad for 10 years before coming here. I was a shop steward, the union official. Ordinary people are very canny and savvy, but they are subsumed in a bath of basically urine. <laughs> What's been passed down mm -hmm. from the owners of the media. They can see through it. They can see they're being told lies, but they can't tell what the reality is. And in Britain, the media concentration is even stronger than here. The unions have been weakened by Boris's pals and by New Labour. It's inconceivable what's happening. I mean, you do realise that Ken Starmer said that his Labour, remember Labour, what it stands for, Labour should, should not appear on the picket lines with the Railway Workers Union on strike. This is unthinkable. The idea that a strike that's very popular with the public, and yet he's telling his cabinet members they shouldn't appear there because he's not looking to the electorate he's looking to the bankers and the chattering classes he's looking to the opinion column writers and they are never ever going to support a reforming labor government so he's really sold the pass at the beginning it's it's i wish i could be more optimistic the people who are getting overpaid who are getting huge amounts of money were asking his members to take a pay cut in the face of inflation and to take job cuts while collecting huge dividends. Now, these are stark facts, absolute facts, which nobody can dispute. And yet it's regarded almost as thought crime to say so. Ian Williams, United Nations correspondent, WBAI commentator. His books include Rum, A Social and Sociable History, The Real Spirit of 1776, and Untold, The Real Story of the United Nations in Peace and War. Editorial note, Tigger is a fictional character, an anthropomorphic anthropomorphic stuffed tiger. He was originally introduced in the 1928 story collection, The House at Pooh Corner, the sequel to the 1926 book, Winnie the Pooh by A.A. A. Milne. Like other Pooh characters, Tigger is based on one of Christopher Robin Milne's stuffed toy animals. And Russia may be temporarily easing its military offensive in eastern Ukraine as the Russian military attempts to reassemble its forces for a significant and what it hopes could prove decisive new offensive. That's according to analysts. Russian forces made no claimed or assessed territorial gains in Ukraine for the first time in 133 days of war. That's according to the Institute for the Study of War yesterday. The Washington-based think tank base suggested um, that 
Moscow may be taking an operational pause, but that does not entail the complete cessation of active hostilities in Ukraine. Russia's defense ministry seemed to confirm that assessment in a statement today. The ministry said Russian military units involved in combat in Ukraine have been given time to rest. We hope they, everybody keeps resting. In a historic vote yesterday, the German parliament voted in favor of a petition condemning, in the strongest possible terms, the psychological torture of journalist Julian Assange and the associated attack on press freedom in Germany and Europe. This decision comes after years of campaigning by German members of parliament MPs from various factions for the release of Julian Assange. The international struggle to free Assange began in 2007 when the United States Apache helicopter videotaped an engagement in Iraq. The video shows Reuters journal Namir Nur al-Din, driver Saeed Shigmag, and several others as the Apache shoots and kills them in a public square in eastern Baghdad after they are apparently assumed to be insurgents. Shortly after an unarmed group of adults and children in a minivan arrives on the scene and attempts to transport the wounded, they are fired upon as well. The following clip is disturbing. Now, Bushmaster, we have a van that's approaching and picking up the bodies. Right down there by the body. Okay, yeah. Bushmaster, crazy horse. We have individuals going to the scene. Looks like possibly uh, picking up bodies and weapons. Come on, let us shoot. Our bongo truck picking up the bodies. Fuck. Request permission to engage. Clear. And that was what happened that day in 2007. The official statement on the incident initially listed all adults as insurgents and claimed the U.S. military didn't know how the deaths occurred. And it would have remained that way if the video, now known as collateral murder, had been leaked by a U.S. Army analyst, now known as Chelsea Manning, to WikiLeaks, an organization helping whistleblowers secretly release their data. The leak led to the arrest of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, who now is fighting extradition to the United States to face espionage charges worth 175 years in prison. WBAI asked journalist Ian Williams, who's an expert on all things British, if Julian Assange can win his extradition fight. I really hope so. I really hope so. But I can't see it. I mean, you know, the, 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 the ranks have closed on this one. I mean, it, it's, uh, I, frankly, I, he's not a very likable individual, Julian Assange, but I have to bridle as a journalist myself the idea that somebody who revealed, remember one of the major crimes was they revealed the video of American forces gunning down a Reuters camera crew in a square in Baghdad and then shooting the rescuer, the civilian rescuer who came over to pick them up. They have not been prosecuted. The Pentagon told Reuters that this was, um, that, that, that they couldn't find the video under the Freedom of Information Act. Julian Assange found it. He should be given a Nobel Prize and a medal just for that. And as far as I know, the Pentagon has not even investigated, let alone brought charges against the people who machine gunned the Reuters crew. And also, I have to say for the shame, the news media that used all of those leaks have piled in on Assange. He's been left swinging in the wind by the media who used his materials. So, you know, I'm... I'm getting very disgusted at this stage of history, and there's much to be disgusted about. United Nations correspondent and WBAI commentator Ian Williams.
American basketball star Brittany Griner pleaded guilty today to drug possession charges on the second day of her trial in a Russian court in a case that could see her sentenced to up to 10 years in prison. The abrupt guilty plea by the Phoenix Mercury Center and two-time Olympic gold medalist came amid a growing chorus of calls for Washington to do more to secure her freedom nearly five months after her arrest in February amid rising tensions between the United States and Russia over Ukraine. Griner, 31, was detained at Moscow's Sheremetevo airport while returning to play basketball in Russia, and police said they found vape canisters containing cannabis oil in her luggage. Yesterday, her team held a support rally for Griner in Phoenix. Her husband, Sherelle, says she was frustrated the Biden administration wasn't doing more. And how I feel today is a deeper emotion than hurt. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated that 140 days have passed since my wife has been able to speak to me, to our family, to our friends. I'm frustrated that my wife is not going to get justice. And that's Griner's husband, Sherelle. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre responded, the president is doing all he can. This is a priority. We are going to make this happen. We have been in constant communications. Secretary Blinken, the special envoys I just listed out, and also Jake Sullivan, our national security advisor. We're going to continue to have those conversations, and we're going to continue to make sure we use everything at our disposal to bring her home, and also Paul Whelan and all the other U.S. nationals that are abroad. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. The rally at the Footprint Center, home of the Phoenix Mercury and Sons, was part celebration of Griner's accomplishments on and off the court with a call to action. The rally featured videos of Griner giving back to the community, dancers, and a dramatic poem reading as many of Mercury teammates sat together in chairs on the right side of the court. And in Washington, GOP right-wing representative Debbie Leshko was added again. In the past, she's claimed one billion migrants were turned away at the U.S.-Mexico border. This time, she claimed in Congress during a debate on a gun measure she needs guns to possibly kill her own children to defend her grandkids. I yield uh, two minutes to the gentlelady from Arizona, Ms. Leshko. I rise in opposition to H.R. 2377. I have five grandchildren. I would do anything, anything to protect my five grandchildren, including, as a last resort, shooting them if I had to, to protect the lives of my grandchildren. Democrat bills that we've heard this week want to take away my right, my right to protect my grandchildren. They want to take away the rights of law-abiding citizens to protect their own children and grandchildren and wives and brothers and sisters. President Donald Trump endorsed Lesko for re-election last March. And in more national news, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper signed an executive order Wednesday shielding out-of-state abortion patients from extradition and prohibiting state agencies under his control from assisting other states' prosecutions of those who travel for the procedure. The Supreme Court has ripped away the constitutional right to reproductive freedom that women have relied on for five decades. That's wrong. Your zip code should not determine your rights. But because of the Supreme Court's outrageous decision, that's the reality right now. For now, it's up to the states to determine whether women get reproductive health care 
and in North Carolina, they still can. As governor, I'm determined to keep it that way. In announcing the executive order, Cooper said he would use his authority over extradition warrants to protect providers and their patients from states that could punish residents who cross state lines to seek abortions. His executive order instructs cabinet agencies not to comply with law enforcement agencies from other states pursuing information about abortion patients in North Carolina. Cooper joined a growing number of Democratic governors seeking to offer sanctuary in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. And the city of New York here locally today began distributing a small number of monkeypox vaccines a day after technical glitches disrupted its ability to schedule appointments. Speaking to reporters, Department of Health and Mental Hygiene Commissioner Dr. Ashwin Basan said New York City is redoubling its efforts to get shots in arms, as well as taking steps to open additional sexual health clinics to administer doses. The assurances comes on the heels of the city receiving nearly 6,000 doses of the vaccine from the federal government yesterday. Symptoms of monkeypox uh, may include fever, headaches, swollen lymph nodes, and exhaustion, as well as these um, uh, sort of uh, pustules that erupt on people's skin and take days and weeks to heal. New York State Health Commissioner Dr. Mary Bassett had this to say. We are doing everything we can to get the vaccine to residents who have the highest likelihood of exposure and uh, who, where we have seen monkeypox is present. Uh, we know, all of you know, but it bears repeating that it is spread through close physical contact uh, and that anyone can get monkeypox, uh, but in settings where people have close face-to-face, skin-to-skin contact, which includes having sex, of course, People uh, are getting monkeypox, and this current outbreak is occurring particularly among men who have sex with men. And that's New York State Health Commissioner Dr. Mary Bassett. And President Biden took a trip to Cleveland, Ohio yesterday to announce a pension relief plan that's expected to help millions of union workers. We fought for the Bush-Lewis Act to protect pensions for millions of workers and retirees. As candidate for president, I argued for his passage and promised when it passed, I would sign it. And that's the promise I've kept when I, when I included the Butch Lewis Act in the American Rescue Plan. Now, motor employee plans will remain solvent for decades and come at least until guaranteed till 2051. Together, there's Social Security benefits. That pension will continue a good middle-class life for you in retirement. For some, just my dad would say, just a little peace of mind. These retirees, those retirees who lost their benefits, will have them restored retroactively. We turn a promise broken into a promise kept. And that speech was given in... Cleveland, Ohio, Ohio, of course, a red state, often purple, going Democrat for President, former President Barack Obama back in, uh, what was that, 2012. Named the Special Financial Assistance Program, the relief plan is geared to help protect millions of union workers from facing significant cuts in their multi-employer pension benefits. And President Biden presented the medal the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor, in a ceremony that provided a feel-good moment for a White House grappling with polls, indicating an overwhelming majority of Americans think the country's on the wrong track and low approval ratings for Biden. The 17 
Honorees range from 25-year-old Simone Biles, the most decorated American gymnast in history, who has become an advocate for victims of sexual assault, to 91-year-old Fred Gray, who Biden called one of the most important civil rights lawyers in our history. But first, Biden told a joke about what he met, former Pope Benedict. We finished the conversation. He was very generous, and he put his hand across the desk and put it on my hand. He said, can I ask you a favor? And then I was vice president, Mr. Vice President. I said, of course you're holding this. He said, I'd like some advice. you have any advice for me? I said, it'd be presumptuous for me to give you advice, Your Holiness. He said, no, really. And I smiled and I said, well, one piece of advice. I said, I'd go easy on the nuns. They're more popular than you are. <laughs> and that's President Biden and James Kahn, the veteran screen actor known for his work in such films as The Godfather, Misery and Elf, has died. His family said in a statement, on Twitter, he was 82. Khan first found fame playing Chicago Bears halfback Brian Piccolo in Brian's Song, a widely seen 1971 movie. The tear-jerking film chronicled Piccolo's real-life battle with terminal cancer. His next film, 1972's The Godfather, made Khan a star, although he was not Italian. Khan was cast as hot-headed Sonny Corleone, oldest of the mobster Vito Corleone's three son, sons, who's memorably gunned down by a rival gangster in an ambush at a toll booth. One of the most interesting clips was the following from that scene, from that movie. Hey, listen to this. The Turk, he wants to talk. He got you imagine a nerve on his son of a bitch, eh? Craps out last night, he wants a meeting today. What'd he say? What did he say? He wants us to send Michael to hear the proposition. And the promise is that the deal is so good that we can't refuse, eh? What about Bruno Tatari? It's part of the deal. Bruno cancels out what they did to my father. A lot of iconic Italian statements that were, I guess, first made by a non-Italian. Very interesting. In 2021 interview for CBS Sunday Morning, Khan said he based Sonny's persona on the late comedian Don Rickles. It wasn't imitating Don Rickles. It was having that drive, that thing, you know. I was just locked into it, he said of his performance. The role earned him an Oscar nomination. Khan also appeared in a flashback in The Godfather Part Two. And that's some of the news for Thursday, July 7th, 2022. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineers, Rachie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. 